Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. If you've been with us, we've been walking through Jesus' final week. And uh, this morning, we're going to come to Friday of that week. And as you kind of just prepare your heart and mind, just a, a quick overview. If you remember last, uh, well, Sunday of Jesus' final week. So if you thought about it, right, I mean, it, it just kind of how we're looking forward to Easter being next Sunday, it would be like today. Today's would be the Sunday in which Jesus enters right into Jerusalem. The palm branches are being waved and people are crying out, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And right, the religious leaders get upset and say, don't you hear that they're saying they're calling you the Messiah, the King? And he says, don't you know that if they don't cry out, lit the children, right, or the, or from the mouth of, of babes and infants, he's ordained praise. And and so he begins to share about this. And um, he goes in the temple, and, and that's when soon following um, on Monday, he curses the fig tree. He challenges the religious leaders. That's when he overturns tables, takes the whip, and drives them out. Because instead of being God's house, a house of prayer, they've made it a den of thieves, a den of robbers. And... Tuesday is when they show back up as they walk back toward Jerusalem and the fig tree that he cursed on Monday is now withered and it's the, the fig tree represents Israel that's not bared the fruit, right? They've not recognized the Messiah and Tuesday is that day where we walk through all the teaching where he takes on religious leaders and woe to you hypocrites, woe to you blind guides, woe to you Pharisees, right? I mean, all this as he walks through there, Matthew 23 through up into 26 and and then Wednesday, Wednesday was kind of quiet and Wednesday of Passion Week is where Jesus um, does some teaching, but there's not a lot recorded in the Gospels. And all we have is, is, is really the religious leaders planning at that point of how they're going to crucify him by stealth. And then comes Thursday and we walk through Thursday, if you were with us last Sunday, and Thursday is when they prepare the Passover meal and they go and get the room prepared and he comes in and that's in the midst of the meal is where Jesus takes off the robe and, and ties a towel around his waist and began to what? You remember? Wash the disciples' feet and even Judas who's there and he tells them that one will betray and they're like, who is it, Lord? Surely not I. And he says, well, actually, it's one of you that drips, dips your hand in and says that after Judas did this, after he took the bread, Judas goes out and he says it was night. They sing as they go out a hymn and they head to the Mount of Olives there into the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there that Jesus will begin to pray as Thursday night comes to a close. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but what? Thy will be done. Early, either Friday morning or late Thursday night toward midnight, someone will show up in the garden. That someone is one of Jesus' followers who's leading a band of religious leaders, but also of those of the temple guard and others, and they've come out to arrest Jesus. Do you remember who was leading them? It was Judas, right? And Judas walks up and says, greetings, rabbi. And he kisses him on the cheek. And Jesus says to him, friend, do what you came for. Jesus will be arrested and he'll be taken to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. And he'll be charged and they're trying to get him to confess some guilt or to hopefully recant that he's not truly the Messiah. And Soon after that, they'll take him on to Caiaphas, who was the high priest, and they'll begin to lay charges against him and 
And they're beginning to accuse him of these things during the night. And ultimately, that's when they ask. They say, I adjure you under oath. Tell us, are you the blessed one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And he says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And in this admonition or affirmation that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah, He is truly the Son of Man from Daniel, He is actually the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed, the high priest does what is actually prohibited by the law, and he tears his clothes, and he says, this is what? Blasphemy. What do you counsel agree should happen? And they say, death. He's claimed to be equal to God. He's saying He's the Messiah. Early hours, the wee hours, the text records of Friday morning, they will have another with another trial there with the religious leaders saying this is when they will recognize that they must kill him. And they realize that they can't do it. Only Rome has that authority. And so in the wee hours they will of Friday morning, they will head to Pilate and they won't go inside because they don't want to become ceremonially unclean. And they begin to charge Pilate to have this man killed and Pilate says, listen, he recognizes that, that they're trying to out of, it says, out of jealousy. And so Pilate hears that he's a Galilean or has this type of background. And so he sends him on to Herod. And Herod wants to hear about who Jesus is. And he hears that he's a miracle worker. And he hopes that he might do some type of miracle. But Jesus does nothing. And they just mock him and make fun of him and send him back to Pilate. Pilate now realizes that things are beginning to get hostile. And they're saying that, This Jesus is making himself a king and the religious leaders say, we have no king but Caesar. This is heinous. This is the very people of God saying, we don't have God as our king. We have Caesar. And it says, no one's a friend of Caesar who lets those who claim to be king, lets them go. Pilate comes up with a plan that what was tradition evidently is that that At the Passover, they often released a criminal and he lifts up a man by the name of who? Barabbas. Barabbas is a notorious criminal. Even some translations there in our New Testament render that he was a murderer. He assumes that likely there's no way they could ever let someone like that go. And yet the people says, give us Barabbas. And he says, well, what shall I do with the one that you call the Christ or the king of the Jews? And the crowd cries out what? Ooh. Crucify. Pilate goes and puts his hand in the water and he washes his hands to say that I am innocent of this what? This man's blood. And the religious people cry out this. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And with that, Pilate agrees to have Jesus scourged and then delivered to be crucified. It's Friday, April 3rd, A.D. 33. And Jesus will go to the cross. This week is... I've been studying quite a bit for some of my school and one of the books I've been reading on preaching by Tim Keller. um, He just revealed some things that I never really thought about in a multitude. And just like that with many authors. I, I hope that you realize you can't come up with all the good ideas on yourself. Right, you don't have every good thought. There's other people, right? So I want to encourage you to be a reader. I want to encourage you, like this is maybe just a plug, just as you think about the summer, our, 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 love, our public library here has a summer reading program and it is awesome. 
Right? I mean, one of our members, Miss Charlotte Mears, she was passionate about helping people in our community read. I want to encourage you to be a part. Again, maybe say, Blake, I'm not a reader. Maybe if you just say, how I want to read one book before 2019 is over. Some of you, maybe it's helping others read here at the church, and maybe you'd start some type of book club where you begin to read different works. But nonetheless, as I was reading this week and, and hearing these words, some things that I had never thought about came to my mind. And as he shared these different things about how we should preach and think about preaching, one of the points he brought out was about the Beatitudes. And as I began to read the Beatitudes and think about them, um, sorry, um, I began to think about the Beatitudes there in Matthew chapter 5. I began to realize that as we look at Scripture, the only way for us to ultimately understand all of Scripture is we must look at it through the lens of the cross and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. As you look at any scripture, listen, you must look and see how does it fit in light of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so this morning, I want to bring to your attention the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And let's look at them through the lens of Christ's sacrifice for us and then how they might be better interpreted or better understood. And I hope and pray it's a moment of great grace and mercy to us all. Because it's Friday and Jesus is on the cross. Listen, if you would, to the Beatitudes. Begin in verse 3 of Matthew 5. I'll read some of them, work through it. Blessed, this is again Jesus, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's gone up on the mountainside and he brought his disciples and great crowds are around him. And Jesus from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 just gives this unbelievable amount of teaching and instruction. This unbelievable, right? I mean, it is, is, is well known throughout Christianity as the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. I mean, he just preaches unbelievably about all these things. Listen to what he says, beginning of verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're going to walk through more of those, but let's just stop for a moment. Begin in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, we all need to ask, why will you or why will I inherit the kingdom of heaven? This is, this is imperative, right? This is about your eternity. Why will you inherit the kingdom of heaven? Listen to what Jesus says. He speaks here about the poor in spirit. Right, This poor in spirit are those who recognize that they have nothing to give God that is worthy of them gaining entrance into the kingdom. It should cause all of us, right, to sense that overwhelming spiritualness of the fact that we are bankrupt, that we have nothing that could say, God, you must let me in. I'm poor in spirit, God. There's nothing to give. But I think as we look at poor in spirit, we don't fully maybe understand or grasp it until we begin to look at the fact that Jesus himself became poor in spirit. Listen to this. The prophet Isaiah that we've been walking through and we'll soon come to this text in our study of Isaiah. Listen to verse 6. I would encourage you this week, if you have not done it before, during this week, read Isaiah 52 and 53. It's huge to your understanding of what's happening. But listen to verse 6 of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every what? Everyone, everyone here is guilty. Every one of us is sinners. Every one of us. 
Everyone has turned to his own way. And then look at this. Listen to this beautiful moment of grace and mercy. And the Lord has laid on him, on this servant, what? The iniquity of us all. All of our strain, all of our iniquity and sin, the Lord has chosen to do something about it. And it's ultimately he's going to lay it on this servant. This one who is perfect and sinless, he will become poor in spirit for you. Do you see it? He will take on as if he lived your life. He will claim and own your sin upon the cross. And he will go in essence in in the presence of the Father with your sin. Not his own, but your sin. He's becoming poor in spirit. He's becoming like us, like one who, listen, who does not deserve to enter the kingdom. He took it on for you. Why? Because Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there is no way that you and I will ever inherit the kingdom of heaven as we are. So Jesus must become poor in spirit on our behalf. He must take on our sin. He must stand in God, as full, stand before God, fully God and yet fully man. Therefore, He can claim and own your sin as a man. And yet He's sinless. He has no sin of His own because He is fully God. It's, it's this beautiful moment of fully God, fully man, meeting in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And there He is. And so listen, all of us, that must move us to a place because of Jesus being poor in spirit on our behalf. It must move us to acknowledge that we'll never inherit the kingdom as we are. We must confess our need of Jesus in this moment. Of His willingness to take on our sin. Look further though. Verse 4 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. The mourning takes place because we recognize that we're poor in spirit. And because we're poor in spirit, we'll never inherit the kingdom. And so Jesus assumes that when we begin to realize that we're sinful and we're not going to be welcomed in, that it would create some sense of brokenness. It would create what maybe we, we hear in Acts chapter 2. is In verse 37 it says, The people are cut to the heart and they cry out, What must we do to be saved? Right? I mean, we hear that there is no entrance into the kingdom as you are. And that should cause all of us to begin to mourn. But the question is, great, we're mourning, but why should God ever comfort us? And the reason why that God can comfort us, listen, is because listen to what Jesus experienced on our behalf. Beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 26. There late that Thursday night as he approaches into Friday, Jesus in the garden praying with the disciples. And he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch for me or watch with me. So again, there's this indication of sorrow. There's a mourning that's taking place. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying this. My father, if it is possible. If it's possible for Blake to enter the kingdom any other way. Father, if it's possible for you to enter the kingdom any other way, listen to what he says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what? But as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Right? I mean, he says, listen, why must the cup stay? The cup must stay. 
Because only if the cup stays, only in that will Jesus take on the wrath of God for you, right? This figurative image from the Old Testament, right? They use this cup to indicate God's wrath, God's anger towards sin. And Jesus is recognizing, he's saying, listen, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to, if I don't have to take the wrath, if I don't have to become sin, if I don't have to experience separation from you, Father, if there's any other way for them to enter the kingdom of heaven, Father, if there's any other way for you and I to be forgiven, if there's any other way for us to experience, listen, being comforted, then let this cup pass. And here's Jesus, late Thursday night, morning, and recognizing that the only way that you and I will ever be comforted, truly comforted, Truly having peace with God. The only way that will ever, ever come is if He dies on our behalf. Standing before God as if He lived your life that you could stand before God as if you lived His. That's the only way you could ultimately be comforted this morning. No matter what your bank account shows, no matter how good your relationships are, no matter how much swag you feel like you have in the community, no matter how successful or not successful you may feel, this morning the only way for you and I to truly be comforted is to know that we have been reconciled to a holy God by grace through faith in Christ. And the only way this happens is if Jesus Himself mourns, standing in the presence of God, taking the wrath of God for us, that we could be comforted. Further, verse 5 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the meek, for they what? Shall inherit the earth. Again, you need to ask the question, right? How am I going to have the kingdom of heaven? How am I going to be comforted now? How am I going to inherit the earth? And if you're not careful, you might hear this today and you might think, well, I need to be, I gotta be poor in spirit. Now I've gotta mourn. Now I've gotta be meek. Now I've gotta hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now I've gotta be merciful. Now I've gotta be a peacemaker. Now I've gotta be persecuted for righteousness. If you're not careful, you can hear this and think, I need to do this, do this, do this, do this. And then somehow God will accept me. No! Acceptance before the Father is only through the Son. And because you have acceptance and because you will receive the Spirit of God, you will now be empowered to be a peacemaker. Because God's Spirit will indwell in you, you can now show others mercy who have never deserved your mercy. Because you knew that you never deserved God's mercy. Do you see how this begins to transform us as we look through the lens of Jesus' sacrifice? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And listen, we're going to, this, this meekness indicates a humility. It's those who humble themselves before God. Listen, none of us ever get that perfect enough. So again, we're asking, how can I somehow be meek enough to inherit the earth? And what I want to contend for you and I is, is that Jesus was your perfect substitute. As you hear Scripture, listen, beloved, yes, let it motivate our hearts. Yes, let it call us to emulation and imitation of who Christ is. But let us all realize that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all in here in desperate need of God's beloved grace to us in Christ that we could indeed inherit the earth and the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at Jesus to see how He became meek. 
Return back with me for a moment to verse 7 of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter, the slaughter or sheep before shear is a silent. Listen, so he opened not his mouth. This meekness, this humility of this one, listen, who is laid on him. It's not his own iniquity. It's not his own sin. I mean, he has a right to vindicate himself, surely. And this is this beautiful moment. And you sang about it a little bit earlier. I mean, just had some of that imagery. Jesus entrusts his vindication to the Father. It's the Father who will vindicate him. And that will not come until Sunday morning. Have you entrusted your vindication to the Father? I know some of you have been done, you've been done wrong terribly. But your parents, some of you were, I can't imagine things you experienced growing up. Some of you experienced great abuse, whether physical, emotional, verbal. I mean, you've experienced some, some of you, listen, you're experiencing terrible things now. Listen, some of you have experienced great things in relationships. Can you entrust to the Father the vindication? The Father, listen, even if that person, some of them have already died and gone, some of them have seemed to got off scot-free, maybe you would say. Some of the people who have stepped on you and hurt you, it seems if everybody thinks they're okay and you're not, listen, I want you to know that God's not missed it. The vindication, Christ, listen, He is there and He is innocent, yet He is standing and hearing these things and He will not open His mouth. Listen to it play out. Matthew 26, verse 63, as they're accusing him, Jesus remained what? Silent. Matthew 27, beginning verse 12, but when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave what? No answer. Verse 13, then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Like, dude, defend yourself. Have you ever felt that? Like your flesh just wants to defend yourself? And let's be honest. I mean, most of the time that happens with the people closest to us. With our spouses, with our children, with like friends, with coworkers, like the people we know the closest are the ones we often want the most, like give an answer, like you big punk. Some of you think worse things than that. Come on. And then verse 14. But he gave him no what? Not even to a single charge. So that even the governor was greatly amazed. Like, who is this guy? I wonder who's greatly amazed by your meekness. Who's greatly amazed by the meekness and humility that you show to others who do not deserve it? I mean, listen, if you've ever wondered how meek is Jesus willing to be, listen to what Matthew 27, 35 says. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among them by casting lots. He's even willing to let them have his clothing. That is some meekness and some humility of this one who's willing to lay down even to be naked on the cross for us. He's laying down, we would say, all dignity. Why? Because there's no other way for us to inherit the kingdom. 
There's no other way for you and I to be right with God except through Christ. He is our ultimate example of meekness and humility. And when I see Him, I think, I am so unlike that. So if I have to be as meek as Him to inherit the earth, then I am in big trouble. But beloved, by grace through faith, His meekness can be credited to you. Man, take that in. Because some of you, I'm assuming, you're probably pretty quick like me. You just get upset. You have a tendency to fire your mouth off, or you're, ready to, you're just ready to go and take the gloves off, or put the gloves on, or whatever. I'm just saying, you're like you're just, in, you just, you just struggle with that. And you know that if it's about you being meek and humble like that, that that's the only way that you'll enter the kingdom, you know there's no way for you. And so you're so right, and that's why I want you to know that He has done it for you. And let His meekness now be credited to you, and let His meekness be put on you, and let His strength empower you to show meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth further with me blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness here's why they're blessed here's why they have that joy that happiness for he says they shall be what satisfied why shall we be satisfied he says because they hunger and thirst for righteousness listen to the moment here of jesus on the cross in john 19 beginning verse 28 just a simple statement I what? I thirst. Jesus on the cross declaring, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put it on a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to His mouth. It's likely this is in fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. There's one hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus is hungering and thirsting experiencing this on the cross. But look further with me. John 18, beginning in verse 10. It's Thursday night, right? When Judas comes into the garden leading this band of people with clubs and torches and, and, and listen to what happens as they go to arrest Jesus, beginning in verse 10 of John 18. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You and I can hunger and thirst for righteousness and be satisfied because He drank the cup that we deserve. He took the judgment that you and I so rightfully deserve. It is... We deserve to receive that judgment for all that you and I have done wrong, all of our evil thoughts, all of our evil deeds, every wicked motive of our heart. He has done and taken it on our behalf. And so therefore, because of what He has done for us, let it purify us. Right? Let us give us that desire for our hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seeing what He has done for us, it must move our hearts. Further, verse 7 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So we inherit the kingdom. We are comforted. We are satisfied. We receive mercy. 
We receive mercy. But think about Jesus. Did Jesus receive mercy when Judas came to betray him? Does Jesus receive mercy before Annas or Caiaphas, the high priest? We can receive mercy because Jesus received no mercy before the religious leaders. We can receive mercy because Jesus before Pilate and before Herod received no mercy. We can receive mercy because Jesus, even on the cross, receives no mercy from the criminal on his left and his right until at some point there's a change in one of them. We can receive mercy because from the religious leaders that day, they were mocking him even on the cross. We can receive mercy because from the crowd, Jesus received no mercy. And then maybe the hardest of all, we can receive mercy because on the cross, from the Father, Jesus receives what we would say is no mercy. Listen to his words. Again, there's many scriptures that perplex me and are way over my head. I'm not sure there's any scripture any more than this. Beginning verse 45 of Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, this is why Jesus is on the cross. There was darkness over all the land to the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you, what, forsaken me? You're my God. My God, you're mine. Why? Why no mercy? And in the Scriptures, listen, we hear no voice from heaven. We've heard voices from heaven at different points throughout Scripture in great moments of Jesus' life, at baptism, at the, the Matthew, 20, or Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my Son. Listen and follow Him. Like, I mean, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. But when He cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? There's silence. And you and I can see this. And even though we have no way of comprehending exactly what's happening here. We must humbly just acknowledge that we can receive mercy. Because in this moment, Jesus has become our sin. And the Father is just in giving Him the judgment that we deserve. Or He as our substitute now deserves So when you hear from Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember that Jesus Himself stood in your place. That in your darkest hour, you could cry out and always receive mercy. You could always receive mercy. Because He stood in your place. And took your condemnation and guilt. So... Beloved, you are so blessed. And does that mercy that you've now received undeservingly and unearned, does it not move you to show mercy? Mercy to your spouse? Mercy to the person that cuts you off in traffic? Mercy to the person at your job site? 
Does it not move you to show mercy, children, to your parents and parents to your children? Does it not move us to show mercy to others across political lines and across disagreements in the church and other places? Does it not the beloved, blessed blood of Jesus Christ? Does that not move you to show mercy? Everything in Scripture is ultimately only rightly and understood and seen in its fullest sense when we see it through the lens of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so it is even here with the Beatitudes. Further, verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did you hear that? One day you will be able to see God. I mean, I think it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Revelation 22. I think it's verses about 3 and 4 there, where it talks about the fact that in the new heaven that is to come, this new heaven, this new earth, that it says His servants shall serve Him and they shall see His face. Why? Because why is this so important? Because all throughout the Bible we hear these constant reminders that no one may see God and what? And live. But... Because there was one who has made you pure. You in Christ shall now be able to see God for all eternity. Right? I mean, this is an unbelievable moment of being made pure. Right? I mean, Jesus, again, this purity, right? I mean, listen, this, this, this purity indicates this, this unified single vision. Listen to what it says about Jesus in Luke 9 and 51. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. In Matthew 26, 52 to 54, right? Jesus says, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He says it is indeed possible for God, but this is not God's will. Those are hard moments, but listen, that's why we must have God constantly purifying our hearts because we are facing difficult moments. You and I are facing challenging moments in our lives as we walk through this journey here on earth. Some of you are in the midst of very ones, very intense ones, I'm sure, at the moment. And you must realize, listen, that it, yes, it may be possible for God, but it may not be His will. And we must cry out, God, purify my heart that I might see You and I might be in submission to Your will just as Your Son is here in the garden. Further. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is probably one of those constant texts that we discuss with our boys. Peacemakers are called what? Sons or daughters of God, children of God, right? So I'm just like, hey man, right now, by the way you're living, does it appear that you're living like a child of God? And listen, none of us get this right. We don't get this right all the time. There's none of us here that, that have been perfect peacemakers all our life in every single moment. And again, that must drive us back, right? I mean, the hope of the boy, like the boys that say, listen, you get it wrong. Daddy gets it wrong. Mommy gets it wrong. Everybody that's ever lived except for Jesus has gotten it wrong. And this must move us to repentance. Say, God, forgive me. I need, I know you're calling me to be a peacemaker. But the good news is, listen, the ultimate peace comes from the cross. Listen to Paul as he writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. 
for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Here's how all things are reconciled to God. All things. This is how it happens. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace. If you ever wondered, how will peace truly come? How will things truly be reconciled? Making peace by, right? So it's, it's just telling you, go say, all right, listen in. Here it is. Making peace by what? The blood of his cross. The ultimate place for peace to come in every relationship you're in is to come and experience the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that is available to us in the cross. The cross is the one thing that will heal racism, the one thing that will bring unity across political divide, right? It's the one thing that will heal your relationships. It's the one thing that will restore that you and those that you're broken in fellowship with. It is the peace that is available only through the cross. Finally, let's close with this. Beginning in verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Listen to this reviling. Listen to this persecution that takes place. Jesus is on the cross, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, so he's derided, he's mocked. He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus shows us how to live this life of responding to persecution and being reviled and mocked and jeered. He sets the example and he lived it perfectly. So some of you, you acknowledge you've not always gotten it right. You are right. So today, that means that you must come to the cross to the one who got it right in your place. That you don't have to stand before God and give an account for that. But instead, that could be forgiven by the blood of the cross. And because you've been forgiven now, now because of the blood of the cross and the forgiveness and the example of your Savior, you now can turn the other cheek to those who, just like you, do not deserve it. You see, the cross changes everything. Because of Jesus, those mourning can be comforted. Because of Jesus, those poor in spirit can inherit the kingdom. Because of Jesus, those who mourn will be comforted. Because of Jesus, those, listen, who are pure in heart will see God. Because of Jesus, the peacemakers will be recognized as the sons of God. Because of Jesus, listen, the pure in heart shall see God. I mean, listen, we listen, because of Jesus, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's all because of Christ. Come this morning. Be cleansed. Be forgiven. But it's not only that. It's not only that when you come to Christ, are your, all your sins washed away? Are you accepted before a holy God? Absolutely. But listen, beloved, that's not all. 
Not only is your sin taken away, your sin is taken away that the power of Christ, the Spirit of God could indwell you, that you and I could now live differently. That you no longer have to give in to that sin. That you have the power not in you, but the power of Christ in you to resist and say no, to put off sin, to show mercy, to show grace, to walk in humility, to be meek, to be humble. You have the strength not in you, but Christ in you to purify your heart that you could see God and that you could truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you once and for all could be satisfied. All of this is available to you today in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come, be forgiven. Come, be cleansed. For those of you who are cleansed and are forgiven, recognize that you have the Spirit of God to change you from the inside out now to live out these Beatitudes Not in your own strength, but Christ in you. This is the hope of the gospel. Not only forgiven, but indwelt by this beloved Savior that we've spent all morning looking at and admiring and worshiping. He desires to live in you. This is the hope of the gospel. Is there any here who want Christ? Is there any here who desire to be forgiven? Is there any here who desire to be filled with the Spirit of God? Would you come this morning? For the believer, repent today. Ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and change your heart that you can begin to live this by the power of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, please help us draw. Let us see the beauty and love of mercy and grace the obedience, the faithfulness, everything of Christ. And I pray it will draw all of us. Jesus, you said when you are lifted up, you will draw all people unto yourself. Father, it has been my greatest striving this morning to lift your son up. And Father, I pray today as he is lifted up that all men, women, boys and girls here have seen him. And I pray that they desire him. And I pray that they will come seeking him. For you said you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God, move our hearts to seek after you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.